Welcome back to Candid Conversations. I'm your host, Jonathan Youssef. Parents, today's Candid Conversations podcast is not suitable for younger audiences. Please listen to this episode without little ones around. You may choose to share portions of this interview with your older children, but please listen to it first. My heart broke. I am suddenly looking at this on screen that used to be my easy fix for pleasure and connection. And suddenly I'm like, whoa, this is not body parts made for my pleasure. These are image bearing creations of God. I slammed the computer shut and I just wept. Today's guest is going to challenge and encourage you. She has an incredible testimony of God's deliverance from sin and a life of woundedness and sexual impurity. Mo Isom Aiken is the New York Times bestselling author of Wreck My Life, Journeying from Broken to Bold, and the author of Sex, Jesus, and the Conversations the Church Forgot. She is a nationally sought-after speaker and a popular faith-based blogger. She was also an All-American goalkeeper for the LSU women's soccer team. While her young life was riddled with great personal tragedy, things that she will share in today's episode, Mo was miraculously saved and transformed by the grace of Jesus. She now speaks bold and courageous truth to a generation being crushed under the weight of their sin, their circumstances, and the lies of the enemy. Mo has been featured at Liberty University, the Gospel Coalition, the 700 Club, the Ellen DeGeneres Show, ESPN, CBS, CBN, and many other television, radio, and digital platforms. Her videos and writings on her personal website, moisom.com, garner millions of viewers, and her books have reached tens of thousands worldwide. Mo lives in Atlanta, Georgia with her husband, Jeremiah Aiken, and their two daughters, Auden and Asher, and new son, Ronan. Mo Isom Aiken, welcome to Candid. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me on. I've been looking forward to this interview, having followed your blog years ago and, and, and read a little bit about um, what you've gone through in your own life, your personal life, your testimony um, for those who may not know you, I wonder if you could just give us a little bit of biographical information and, and tell us a little bit about your story, your testimony. Oh, sure. Well, I'll start right where I am. Um, I, yeah, Mo Isom Aiken. I live in Atlanta. My husband, Jeremiah, um, we have been married about five years and have three tiny humans to show for it. I say tiny. They're not. I'm six foot one. My husband's six foot five. My four-year-old is almost as tall as my coworker in ministry. So they're not tiny. They're big humans, but we have a four-year-old, a two-year-old, and an almost one-year-old, and we live just outside of the city and get the privilege and the opportunity of ministering the gospel, of sharing truth, of communicating in spoken word and written word and um, traveling the country as well as internationally, um, making much of Jesus, which is beautiful because if you had asked me 10 years ago, if I would have ever imagined um, being where I was, doing what I was doing, married with a family in some semblance of health, I would have absolutely rejected that. I could not believe it was possible because I was in the midst of navigating so much trauma. I was raised up in the church, raised up 
in the Bible Belt, right here, just in another suburb of the city. And um, parents were Christians, knew a lot about God, sort of lived this faith by inheritance. Oh, we're in church on Sunday. My parents are Christians, so I'm a Christian. You know, knew all the language, uh, could talk the talk, but really didn't understand coming under the Lordship of Christ, didn't understand relationship with God. I knew a lot about religion. I didn't really know much personal relationship. And so because of that, you know, moved into high school, began to struggle with a lot of identity issues, control, perfectionism. I was a really competitive soccer player, um, advancing through, you know, the ranks athletically working for that college scholarship and just gripped by control and perfectionism in that area began struggling with an eating disorder, struggled socially with, with self-harm, just really gripped in that season with a lot of confusion and a very performance-based mentality in life, um, earning everything and perceiving God and perceiving this Christian life much in the same way. Um, but I struggled as a result for really the totality of my high school years with a really vicious eating disorder and really vicious identity issues. And um, I remember as I was headed off to college, I committed to go play soccer at LSU. Go Tigers. We're the best in the nation. It's no big deal. No one can dispute that currently. Um, It's fine. So I remember (laughs) heading to go play soccer at LSU. And um, it was a wave of the Lord pricking my heart in a unique way. I was so worn out, so tired, so sick. And I came across a piece of scripture that said, come to me all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And it was this break from the come to me if you're perfect and you have it all figured out and you are perfectly successful and in control of everything. And it um, shifted something in me that it was an invitation to come even in my my imperfection, my control issues. And so it was like I, I took a big step towards him in that, went off to school, began to kind of grow in navigating what does this faith thing mean on my own? Uh, not under my parents. I'm eight hours away now in the bayou of temptation. (laughs) What does it mean to actually apply all that I've heard all my life to my life? Um, And saw some incredible blessings, saw progress, saw, you know, some growth, had some amazing things occur freshman year, scored like a 90 yard goal, made sports center, top 10 play, just really excelled athletically. Um, But then after my freshman year, came home for winter break and my dad put a gun to his heart and pulled the trigger. So suicide entered my story very unexpectedly, just catapulted me into a rejection of God completely. Depression, anxiety, promiscuity, uh, you name it. Really any sin-sized piece I could find to fill the God-sized hole in my heart. I, I saw it. I rejected God because what I understood from religion and from really a faith kind of built on the sand of, of perceiving God as I intended was that if things were good, he was good. But if things were bad, he must be bad. Was he even real? You know, just the, the, the slope we slide down so swiftly. And I would even say gripped by the thoughts of suicide at times, um, resentful, angry, hurt, wounded, excellent at faking fine. Could have won an Academy award, still performing on the soccer field, you know, mm-hmm. Anyone who asked, we're fine, we're good, but just very broken. And I remember heading home for Thanksgiving break um, after really a year of this utter darkness and being very resentful, very over it all. The cry of my heart, sort of my last ditch effort was like, God, if you're so real, do something. Like you you have to reveal yourself. I can't seem to figure it out. And um, 
shortly after lost control of my vehicle, <laughs> ended upside down in a ravine after flipping it several times, just zoned out, lost control. And it was hanging upside down in this complete wreckage on the side of the interstate that the spirit of the living God entered in so powerfully into that wreckage. It was crushing and in the same breath, like soul resuscitating. It was a real, tangible, powerful encounter with the spirit of the living God who said, be still and know that I am God, Psalm 4610. And hanging upside down in this wreckage, very physically broken. I'd broken neck, ribs, damaged lungs, face, jaw. It was a lot. Hanging upside down in complete brokenness, really at the place of saying, it's got to either be you, God, or what, or what else? I really, at the end of my rope, that he interrupted everything. He is more than willing to wreck our lives in order to save our lives and save our eternal story. And it doesn't always have to involve a radical, crazy car accident on the side of the interstate. All it really takes is a whisper from the living one calls us by name. And it was this rich encounter with him um, that suddenly transformed everything. It was like the depths of the gospel were downloaded. Uh, Revelation just came to light. All that I had heard or explored, or it became very tangible, very real. The gospel, very personal to my story. Because I was the worst of the worst when it came to pain and brokenness. And, And he encountered me and said, hey, I I actually took a cross to redeem that sin. Your sin put me there. I took it because your sin needed redeeming. That became very personal and heavy. But he said, I stayed there. Um, and I have plans and purpose for your life. And will you pick up your cross and carry it? Well, will you really surrender your life to me? And, and I'll lead you and teach you. And um, so it was yes, upside down in that Jeep. And it's been yes ever since. Um, through a lot of hill, a lot of highs, a lot of lows, a lot of mountaintops, a lot of valleys. But A really beautiful, beautiful journey from that point forward. Mo, you've written a book entitled Sex, Jesus, and Conversations, the Church for God. And that's, you know, that's the topic of our conversation today. We're talking about pursuing sexual purity and wholeness. What was it that drew you to write that book? Mm -hmm. As I began to write my first book, which accounted the testimony of coming to faith that I just shared, I saw this model really of, of complete brokenness in my life, confusion, pride, you know, fear, all of the layers of adversity I just shared. And then an encounter with Jesus that was very real, very personal, and absolutely changed everything moving forward, began to deconstruct all that I knew and rebuild it. And as I'm writing this book, you know, I got to this chapter where the promiscuity, where the sexual brokenness, where a lot that festered there and, and resulted from that, where I was going to account for that. And I, I stopped in the midst of writing and I'm like, whoa, this is, this is actually big. I'm looking at my sexual testimony here and it actually isn't just this one chapter. There's been struggles and roots and issues and you know confusion in this area from the very beginning of my story that mirrored confusion, brokenness, pain, um, perversion, lot than an encounter with Jesus that radically transformed everything I knew about sex, about sexuality, about my identity as a woman, about um, it, it loosed chains of addiction over my life. It delivered me from my dependence on others. It was completely transformational. And I was like, this can't be a chapter. <laughs> this cannot be resolved to one chapter. And um, 
it was around the same time that the Lord powerfully impressed on me. You're right. This is a conversation that is big, layered, and has been grossly neglected. And I desire to bring truth and freedom and redemption and restoration. And are you willing to go first? And I'm like, no, thank you. No, I'm not. (laughs) I I don't want to do that. And a lot um, of vulnerability there. Yeah. A call to crazy vulnerability is a valuable conversation that I quickly learned in resolving to kind of die to myself and die to my fear and my shame and all these things and just tackle these topics and open up this conversation. I never could have imagined the hunger within the body of Christ to talk about these things, to address them, to look to the scriptures, to learn and to be broken free of chains we've just coped with for so long to realize, oh, God and sexuality, oh, they're actually not this compartmentalized conscience separate things. They're very much unified. Uh, there's a lot of meaning. There's a lot of power. There's a lot of truth that pulses through his word in regard to these things. As you're going through that, being drawn to Christ, that conversion process of your life, at what point did the, 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 your sexual background, uh, at what point was truth about that revealed to you? Uh, mm-hmm. the, the, the beginning to see, as you said it, that the connection between your faithfulness to Christ, your, your belonging to Christ, and, and that sexual aspect of your life. Great question. It was very quickly, which I glean and see such beauty in the story of the woman at the well. In regard to the immediacy in which Christ began to address this particular issue of sex, of sexuality, of my identity, of my worth and value, and shame being broken off of those things, you see it with the woman at the well. He offers her this living water. He he offers her what he has to give, and she wants it. But before he gives it, he actually addresses the very thing that has been the banner over her life, that is... Uh, the shame that has so weighed her down and oppressed her. And he addresses that very topic. He touches on that very tender place that has her out at high noon drawing water, hoping to be you know, disconnected and disengaged from the community. And he says, well, go and get your husband. He almost interrupts the exchange to press on this piece. And what's so beautiful is she doesn't run from it. She does run. Uh, after the exchange, she picks up a robe. She runs back to town with another man's name on her lips. That's the name above all names. But in this moment, she does not run off in shame or denial or no, those were just mistakes or, oh, that doesn't connect. She knew. She knew it was the most tender place that he was pressing. And he uprooted some of the deepest stuff in her that so tied to her identity and value as a woman Um And also that's so tied to the things that were shaming her into silence, into disconnect, into distance. And he's not afraid to touch it right there. And in the sorting out of those things, she realizes, who are you? How do you know all of these things about me? The deepest things that we work so hard to keep hidden in the darkness, Mm. he touches and brings to light. And this was very similar in my story. I, um, it was like there was this this season. Oh, I'm getting goosebumps all down my legs even thinking about it. He's so faithful. He's so kind and compassionate. There was a season of the initial high. Like, I have just 
come to life. I mean, it was a surge. It was like, I couldn't see anything else, but the glory of God. And my prayers became so powerful. I remember my clearest prayer was like, God, break my heart for what breaks yours and bind my heart to thee. Give me eyes to see the world as you see it. Give me ears to hear the cry of the hurting. Like, make me more like Jesus. Make me more like you. And that was just this broad prayer. of I wanted nothing more than him. Mm-hmm. I wanted to know him and I wanted to be like him. And I remember a, a, maybe a month or so into following him, uh, truly, well, I had to step back into the same environment I had been in before. I, I had to come back to college from being home, recovering from this accident. And I quickly realized um, I was kind of stepping back into the rhythm of the same sin I'd known before. Same friend group, same people. It's what I lived in, you know, yet there was this new feeling of tension. It's conviction. It wasn't shame. It was a conviction of, hey, remember when I told you there's so much more for you? This is part of what's not best for you. And I realized, whoa, I can't be around these same people. They're actually very triggering to this sin struggle in me. I actually need to step away from these environments, say no to certain things. It was the first time I started to realize all these things that have satisfied me before, they're not doing it and it's not good for me. And I started recognizing triggers. And then I remember, um, you know, a part of my backstory in this was exposure to pornography at nine years old and really addicted to it through much of my young life. I separated myself from people and was so feeling so on fire that I was uh, no longer engaging in just physical, very clear debauchery. That's not hard to figure out. This doesn't satisfy it's temporary. It doesn't measure up. But I remember then I was alone and um, it was sort of like muscle memory. I remember one day just an urge overcame me for that very physical fix. And I opened up my computer, just navigated onto this familiar site, really not even engaging in this area much, not thinking much about it yet. And um, a pornographic image came up on the screen and suddenly something was very different. I became nauseous. My heart broke. I am suddenly looking at this on screen that used to be my easy fix for pleasure and connection. And suddenly I'm like, whoa, this is not body parts made for my pleasure. These are image bearing creations of God. I slammed the computer shut and I just wept and I just felt nauseous. And I'm like, what is this God? What are you doing? I hadn't yet consciously connected all of these things, but my prayer had been break my heart for what breaks yours. Give me eyes to see the world as you see it. And suddenly the the familiar that I had turned to, he was like, do you see how I see things now? Do you feel how my heart feels for these broken sexual things now? And that just sent me on this revelation, this realization of his heart behind sex and sexuality, the value of of the men and women he's knit together and formed, suddenly there was very clear connection for me. And I had started in this kind of, it's sort of several things colliding all at once, but I also had kind of entered into my first Christian relationship around the same time and thinking, oh, I'm so on fire. This is going to be amazing. Now I'm really living it out. And this guy, he's living it out too. And very quickly, because I, I hadn't made the clear connection yet, I'm in this, you know, professed Christian relationship, but fell into sexual sin. 
and kind of was navigating it, weighing this new conviction and not understanding what this tension was. But I remember sitting one day in um, this, you know, kind of faith gathering at, at his school. So I didn't know anyone. I'm introverted. I needed to seem like I was doing something so no one would talk to me. <laughs> so I opened the word. It's again, all new, raw, fresh to me with like this real spirit of God within me. And I remember I thumbed right to these scriptures that said, um, oh, I wish I had the verse right off the top of my head, but it basically said, and these shall not inherit the kingdom of heaven, the sexually immoral, the drunkards, the dot, 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 dot. It started listing off and all of these other facets drunkenness, all, all of this, the angry, I'm like, oh yeah, for sure. Why would they? Da, 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 da. But I'm like, hold up. The very first thing on this list, I know good and well, I qualify for. I'm in sexual immorality. And I remember thinking, what does this mean? Wait, what does this mean? Because I believe in him. Suddenly I'm seeing this with fresh eyes. And this is saying like, there's no connection here. It, it, those won't inherit the kingdom of heaven. And I was the first on the list. And I remember slamming my Bible shut, my heart just pounding. And it did not take me long to be like, buddy, we're done. We got to break up. This is not it. This is, and it was this collision from the pornography to my physical involvement with others, to realizing the temptations, the trigger. It was kind of all of these colliding layers that I suddenly started to realize, whoa, this stuff is really important and it's important to the heart of God. And I need to step away and figure this out. And God called me into a fast, an intimacy fast, to just put on the blinders, just be in a monogamous relationship with him and give him the time and space to love him with all of my heart, all of my mind, all of my soul, all of my strength, to take that word all seriously and to forsake all else in light of him and give him the time and the space to sit by me at the well and minister to my heart in this area. It was a huge interruption and a collision and a revelation that slowed everything down and warranted response. I couldn't ignore it. I couldn't fight it. I couldn't act like these things didn't collide. It became very clear to me from what he was doing externally and internally that I needed to take this seriously. And so I, I stepped into a, a fast, I, I just an intimacy fast with him. I wonder if you could take us back a little bit um, in the timeline. You'd mentioned you'd grown up in sort of um, in the Christian home, but not a, a complete awareness or understanding of what it means to submit to the Lordship of Christ. And mm -hmm. I think a lot of people will resonate with that. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of us will have grown up in Christian homes, but as it comes to this issue, and I think this comes to the title of of your second book, The Conversations mm -hmm. That the Church Forgot, what were the things that were handed to you that you feel like the church is continuing to pass on that can be done better? For me, I it started very young. Um, the introduction to and <laughs> incorporation of sex and sexuality in my awareness. I mean, at nine years old, I remember opening the truck door of my dad's truck and this like poker card, this playing card fell out from behind the seats, like this wad of stuff behind the seats. And I bent down to pick it up and, and stuff it back into the truck and turned it over. And it was a novelty poker card. It had pornographic image on it. And at nine, this was set before my eyes and something just seared onto my soul. I can so clearly remember that very moment of encountering the first bit of like, 
real sexual perversion. And I was aware that this, I didn't under, even understand what I was seeing, but this was wrong. And that wasn't my mommy who was upstairs. And why was it in my daddy's truck? And this shame and this overwhelming guilt, but then it evolved into actually a curiosity and a seeking out and no one was really talking about it. And I didn't know if I was supposed to talk about it. It's almost like this shame that kind of keeps you silent, but I started silently seeking and I had had an older neighbor up the street sort of around the same time, take me down to the fort by our Creek and just unload everything they knew that they had heard and all of their understanding about all of sex, sexuality, perverse. I mean, imagine what young teenagers are talking about and that had encountered me again at nine. Mm -hmm. And so suddenly this stuff was very much on my radar. And I remember approaching my mom with a school project, asking her for help about um, like animal reproduction. It was about snakes. I was doing this report. Literally no one knows how that happens, but (laughs) I had to ask her because there was no Google or anything. I'm like, I don't, I don't get this. And I think the terms that I was using, some of the phrases really caught her off guard because she didn't realize, I don't think yet all that I had been exposed to and heard. And so in this panicked moment, she was like, baby, baby, like, um, let me tell you, God desires that we be virgins when we married, we, that we do not have sex before we're married. I was a virgin when we married your father. And that's what, and I like interrupted her because if you can't tell I'm theatrical and I was as well as mine. And I interrupted her in that moment because all I needed to hear was, this is what mom did. This is what dad did. This is what we do. And I made this vain virginity vow. This Then mother, I too will be a virgin when I marry. And I marched out the room with this decided proclamation of, okay, virginity. And what progressed forward then was this cease of the conversation where what I was hearing about was virginity and what the church was sometimes talking about was virginity. But I had no understanding of the greater concept of purity, that we would live with pure hearts, pure thoughts, pure action, what the word really speaks to far more that virginity is the byproduct, is the overflow of a pure heart, touched, transformed by, led by a pure and holy God. But I made kind of this works-based answer to what really from God is actually a life surrender question. Will you follow me fully in all ways? And so there was this weird gray area then. Okay, how far is too far? Like I made this vow when I'm nine, but now I'm like 14 and you know things are changing it's not hard to keep when you're in like fourth grade it becomes harder when you enter late middle school and high school and um i think my parents assumed the church was cultivating the harder more layered conversations and the church assumed the family was at home but really no one was speaking into this or guiding this and so i was simply looking to the culture to the world that's more than happy to discuss all things sex and sexuality. You can't watch a dog food commercial without it being over-sexualized. We're inundated by the world. And so I figured I've got to look and listen to somebody. I'm hearing a little bit about like virginity from my mom and from the church. thing, So I'll do that. But then I'm also hearing from my friends and my peers and my neighbors, um, you know, this is what's okay. This is what's not this by this age, you get to this base, you know, like, the culture in the world and my peers just shaping. And then I'm looking to movies, to magazines, to television that seems as though there's a complete freedom, whatever you want, when you want it, how you want it, your body, your life. It was just disorienting. Mm -hmm. It was just confusing. 
because there was no solid, unchanging source of truth guiding me in the way I should go. And therefore, dependent on my mood or dependent on my temptation or dependent on my desire, I would seek the answer from any number of varying sources. And it felt like running a maze kind of blind. And so it was this purity versus virginity gray area that, you know, kind of came up. No one was addressing pornography, especially acknowledging young women dealing with it um, and the struggles of it. It was um, messy then as I navigated this gray area, but was surrounded by, you know, older individuals in high school and wanted to, you know, seem cool with them. And then especially as I got to college and trauma entered my story with the loss of my dad, man, talk about things that will catapult you into Mm. any sin that will numb the reality of the pain that you're feeling. Mm. Um, And so throughout the, the course of this time before encountering Christ, what it really felt like was based on my moods, my thoughts, my like ideology, my level of maturity, my own degree of understanding, I was turning to and seeking the information, the guidance and the clarity from any, like I said, any number of varying sources. And it just made for really a mess. And at the end of the day, it left me as a, a young woman confused, very wounded, had deeply wounded others. I won't play victim card here. Had actually leveraged what I saw, especially through porn was, this is what it must mean to be powerful, to be desirable. This is how I am to conduct myself in order to be sexually appealing. That I wielded that like a weapon, manipulated others. Um, Man, and at the end of the day, just set so empty and so broken and so confused because it felt like there was no real roadmap, but like it was just this guessing game that you were supposed to figure out, yet somehow you end up just putting your naivety on display for the whole world to see. And I'm in college with a reputation that precedes me with, you know, rumors spreading with, oh, I can't even get into the ins and outs of what a mess it was. And I just sat there one day after actually what was an adulterous relationship I was unknowingly involved in when I was intoxicated. And I sat there when that hit me and I realized really how far things had fallen. And I just thought, how did I get here? How did this happen? How am I this, you know, this person everyone perceives on the surface, but I knew who I am behind closed doors and what I feel like on the inside. And how did this happen? And man, it was, it was a lot to untangle, but ultimately as God was so faithful to help me by way of the Holy Spirit to just thread by thread, pull things back, my heart suddenly burned once I knew truth and was experiencing healing and freedom and extending forgiveness and asking forgiveness. And a lot of this stuff, this yoke of shame and pain and weight just being lifted off so faithfully by Christ, there was suddenly this righteous anger, this righteous urgency in me of, oh, it's not a guessing game. There's a very clear source of truth that guides us and leads us. And there is a very clear roadmap 
for our good, for his glory. Like that's not this rule list of right and wrong. Do this. Don't do that. Shame, shame, shame. If you do, it's not confusing. It's very clear. And God lays it out so beautifully for our good and loves us so much that he cares deeply that we understand and care about physicality and sexuality. And I don't, I, I, I kind of went on a rabbit trail answering that one, but. Um, no, well, that- it's good. You're, you're, you're weaving your own story into um, a very needed question that people have to face. And, and a question I have is, you know, as, as you're beginning to wrestle with this, what were some of the theological questions that were coming into your mind uh, that you really had to wrestle with? I think sort of some of the m- more theological pieces came actually over time for me. Initially, when I encountered Christ, the greatest theological question at hand that was very clear and very simple and transformed everything was, um, are you willing to trust him and obey? Mm. And do you believe that that is what is best for you Mm. and that he loves you enough and cares about every detail of your life that in doing things his way, in obeying him, um, that it will be worth it, that you'd hang your life on it. And this initially came up sort of when I stepped into the intimacy fast piece that I was talking about, I was in the prime of college years. It's like when, even if things have been messy and broken and confusing, you're still like, this is where I'm surrounded by 45,000 other people my age. And there's a lot of guys in this pool. And like, what do you mean, Lord? What do you mean? Step away from all of this mm. relational stuff and just be with you. What about my future? What about husband? What if I miss something in obeying you? And he was like, that's where you're going to need faith. That's where you need to exercise faith. Do you believe that I love you? that I know what's best for you, that what I'm calling you to is for your good and will bring healing and restoration and that I'm faithful moving forward. And um, actually, goodness, I haven't thought about this in so long, but sitting in that very question and answer, it was when he began to break um, the idolatry off of me of I need someone else. I need the affection and acceptance of another human in order to feel like enough to feel complete. And what his real, not very deep theological question, pretty elementary was, am I enough for you? And I was like, well, let's see. You know, it's like, I I believe you are. And I want to grow in such nearness to you by obeying you and following you and knowing relationship with you. That if you send relationship in the future for me, it will be a cherry on top. It won't be an idolatrous thing that I need to complete me. It will actually just be what it's always intended to be, which is a gift from you. And when I wrestled with this, like, what could the future be? What's actually guaranteed? And what am I okay handing over control to you to lead towards? There was a freedom that came with the contentment of God. You're you're enough and it's enough for me to obey you and to trust you. And that so permeated so much of my faith walk, so beyond sex and sexuality, it was really a big theological piece of, do you believe I'm in control? And do you believe I'm good? And do you really believe I love you? And if you do, is that enough for you? And 
answering yes to that and then beginning to walk in obedience led me on this incredible journey that not only healed and restored, but also started to walk me nearer and nearer, deeper and deeper towards the heart of God and towards the mind of God to begin to think the way he thinks, see things the way he sees them, feel things the way he feels them. And that sort of progression over time of just walking in obedience to him and um, seeing him move in response to that obedience. Sometimes the ways that I expected and it made sense, sometimes the ways I didn't expect and seemed disorienting, but still uh, faithfully walking with him led me forward and always remained a peace that surpassed understanding. Um, that led me then into chapters I'm in now where the deeper theological pieces of what does your identity as a, you know, a woman, the sexuality inherently knitted into you, gifted to you by God, what does that represent? Not just in the physical, but then in, in the prophetic into the spiritual, what is being communicated by, you know, um, doing things rightly as he intended. Um, what is the depth of covenant? What is the depth of reinforcing covenant by coming back together? You know, it takes you into the deeper places of all that he intends because there's always more and deeper and further of God to know, to explore and to come into revelation of. But it began very simply sort of with the theological piece of, do I believe that obedience is worth it and that he loves me and that he's for me and that he's enough? And when I said yes to that, it began to pull scales off left and right. It's interesting. You brought up that point. The question you were asking yourself was, what if I miss something in obeying you? What are the excuses that you typically hear? Or what were the excuses that you gave from pursuing that deeper relationship in that in that moment? Oh, wow. Yeah. The first... Um gosh, the biggie that comes to mind would be uh, there's a real challenging to the flesh that comes because obedience a lot of the time comes with a denial to the flesh's instant wants and urges. And that's so beautiful because it it actually teaches us self-control. It actually reveals to us that by the blood of Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit within us is greater than our fallen flesh lorded nature that we do not have to be enslaved to every urge, every want, every thought, everything we think we need, but that we can actually be uprooted from enslavement to sin and um, actually become enslaved to righteousness. But this comes first, I would say one of the biggest things that I wrestled with was like, but sometimes I just want something. (laughs) Sometimes I just want that fix. Sometimes I want that relational connection. Sometimes I want that person to text. It makes me feel good. And there was a real wrestling match for me with obedience of like, are you willing to navigate discomfort? Are you willing to deny what you think will feel good? The temporary fix for the eternal fruit. That's tweetable. The temporary fix for the eternal fruit, like who's really your master? And it was this wrestling match of like, my flesh can't be, you know, if I'm walking truly surrendered to his Lordship, it it can't be my wants, my flesh, my comfort, the focus on me. 
he began to shift my perspective and invite me into discomfort and invite me into the tension wrestling space, like the, the familiarity with denying self for the glory of God. And so that was a big one that came up against, well, what do I do if I want something? <laughs> well, what if what he wants for us is greater? Hmm. Who lords us? Because if we're not under the lordship of Christ, we're under the lordship of Satan. And I don't want that. <laughs> so I want to be willing to get uncomfortable. I want to be okay with tension. I don't want to numb navigating depth anymore because it gets me out of my comfort zone. I need you, Lord, to train me, train me up as I go in. Um, I mean, it's like I understood it when I related it to an athlete mindedness. You don't want to go lift weight. You don't want to run sprints, but it's always going to make you stronger persevering through that discomfort. It's for our gain. And so um, that was a big one that I wrestled with. I think to the, the question of control. What does my future look like if I'm not able to clearly be in control of X, Y, or Z factors? And um, when I released that need to control and actually began to trust, you do know what's best for me. And I can't come into agreement with the thought that obedience would leave me abused or neglected, that obedience would cause me to miss out on a husband or a dream, the resolve in my heart became, I can't agree with the lie that obedience to God is for my harm. I must believe that he, he loves me and he is who he says he is. And whatever this obedience yields, it's what was best for me. And ultimately that he's in control. I don't think he's going to cause us to miss out on something that he intends by obeying him. He is in such a a full and abounding work of transforming us and maturing us and growing us and strengthening us and orchestrating all together for his glory or his will be done. And so I have to trust that and release control. What a powerful testimony. And this is just the beginning. Join us next week for part two as Mo shares the practical steps she took in her healing journey, as well as free resources she's offering to help you pursue freedom and wholeness. You don't want to miss it. Candid is a podcast from Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Youssef. If you liked today's episode, please share it with a friend, leave a review, and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. By subscribing, you make sure you never miss an episode. It's delivered as soon as we release it. Don't forget to connect with our social media pages on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Check out our show notes for more information on today's guest. As always, thank you for listening and sharing this episode. I'm your host, Jonathan Youssef. Thanks for listening.